This year we've had a theme, Better Together, and the whole thought has been, I guess, understanding and pursuing biblical community other than the predominant thought of our world, which is individualism at all costs. The individual stands alone, it's all about me as opposed to understanding what it is to to be in community. And uh, what I want to speak about today is a really difficult topic, a potentially uh, awkward topic, but I don't think we've ever shied away from that stuff. Uh, But I do feel like I always need to give a disclaimer. Uh, So so this is going to be a little bit like your porridge, you know, you might not like porridge, but it's good for you. Is that okay? And, uh, and this is one of those topics that no matter which way you go, you always tend to be, be too light for some people and too heavy for others. It's like gold. If ever there was a topic that suffered Goldilocks syndrome, this would be it. Uh, so for those who, uh, because this is what I want to talk about, I want to talk about uh, emotional issues again, because we've spoken about that over the last few weeks. Uh, so I want to revisit that and I, I actually want to in, in, in look a little bit deeper at the spiritual side of emotional issues because they are very much attached and connected and, and a lot of places, even in our own world, uh, even governments recognise that. That's why we have chaplains, sporting clubs recognise that. They, they recognise the connection between what is spiritual and the overall well-being of a person. So I want to look at that stuff and I want to look at the devil. Satan, demons, (laughs) stuff that we don't always talk about. Uh, But I tell you what, if you read your Bible, you see it. So it would pay to have a little bit of a rudimentary understanding, I think. Uh, And and so I want to dive in there. And so if you've drawn your theology, you've been around long enough to draw your theology from a 1973 movie that had spinning heads and spitting green slime called The Exorcist, uh, then this is not going to be heavy enough for you. If, uh, and, and some of you might just wonder why on earth do you even want to go there. Uh, interestingly, I, I did a little bit of research on The Exorcist and, uh, and horror movies in general. You know The Exorcist is the ninth highest grossing movie ever made. Hollywood movie. And, uh, and that's why they keep returning to the horror genre. Um, but I'll tell you what it did. It set some weird things off, especially in the 80s. Because... Uh, I became a Christian in the mid-80s and the exorcist was still showing at the drive-in. I can still remember who I was with when I saw it. That, that culprit in the back row over there, Greg Philippa, uh, encouraged me like he did. He, he really did corrupt me in so many ways. He encouraged me to go to the drive-in and see the exorcist. And uh, it scared us so bad that the next night we just took a bunch of girls and scared them too. Um, but if honestly, if that is your perception of the spiritual realm, uh, you've got a bit of a distorted perception. And yet somehow that trickled into the church in the 80s. There was some crazy stuff going on uh, in the 80s. I mean, it was the 80s. I mean, big music, big hair, big devil, big shoulder pads. There was a lot of things were big in the, in the 80s. And, uh, and there was certainly a big devil kind of theory going around. And, uh, and I certainly am not undermining the fact that, that we face spiritual realities. And if, if we are a supernatural people, and we, we should be, we are in a faith walk with the supernatural God, 
then uh, if we believe in him, then we have to believe what he says about spiritual things. And because the Bible talks about the devil, Satan, demons, then I think that at some point we need to talk about those things as well. Does that sound fair enough? Uh, Thinking back to the 80s and those early experiences, I'll never forget one experience uh, that that I witnessed. We had a visiting speaker in the little ch- little church I got saved in. It was a pretty swing from the chandeliers kind of Pentecostal church, uh, a bit crazy at times. And we had a visiting ministry one Friday night. And so, you know, a lot of people turned out. Sue, who had come from a very conservative church background, and we were simply only friends still at that stage, she decided to bring an even more conservative Christian friend along to this meeting where we had a, new, a guy from New Zealand, a Maori evangelist, uh, who was literally, he would have cast demons out of the light shades if he could have. And, uh, and so uh, uh, halfway through this meeting, I think he looks down the hallway and he's been praying for people. People are falling on the ground and I don't know whether there was the odd scream. I'm not sure. I can't remember those details, but I can remember him locking eyes with this young lady. And he saw the terror and fear in her eyes. Now, he thought that was the devil afraid of him, but I think it was just her afraid of him, if you know what I mean. She is terrified. Her eyes are like dinner plates. And so he starts, that, that girl there, and he starts down the aisle. She just turned around and bolted straight out the back I thought the the you know the deacons were going to have to like tackle her but she ran thankfully they didn't she ran straight out the back of the church through the kitchen into the toilets and locked herself there and he positioned himself for a while at the kitchen door waiting for her to come out so anyway that was that was funny in hindsight you know what they say about crazy situations, desperate situations, and a little bit of time equals humour. Uh, at the time, she did not think, she never set foot in a Pentecostal church after that, that I can think of. I don't think Sue could get her back anywhere near it. Um, and, and I guess that's one crazy extreme. And yet I did see, without doubt, I saw some people get some really genuine, authentic freedom from life-controlling issues Uh, And often at a snap, God did something that maybe years of of struggling by themselves might never have happened for them. And so I've seen the genuine, I've seen the unusual, and maybe things I never want to see again. I've seen both of those, and, uh, and I think it would be good for us to talk a little bit about it, maybe in light of the fact that in our society, We are living in an epidemic of deep-seated emotional issues. And I'm not saying for a moment all of them are demons or anything like that, but sometimes you see things that you think, man, that just seems to be energised on a level beyond the norm, if you know what I mean. And, And again, speaking about... The devil is a very real spiritual entity. Jesus uh, very clearly spoke about him in that way. Then we have to address that subject. So I don't know whether I need permission from some of you. Some of you who lived through the 80s and are still scarred. I might need permission to go here. Do I have permission to go here this morning? Well, I've got to now. I've said so much. You've got to, you know, you'll leave unbalanced if I finish it there. So true some of you just sitting back like this he's digging a bigger hole for himself as he goes so I want to look at this and uh, 
the fact is tormented people abound in our society. Uh, broken people. People who are trying to deal with, if I could put it this way, deal with their demons in all their different forms. And that can be from garden variety addictions to newly diagnosed mental health issues attributed to relatively recent phenomena like social media. People are dealing with all kinds of stuff. Perhaps the biggest thing people are dealing with is the breakdown of relationships, the breakdown of family unit, therefore leading to the breakdown of, of you know, larger family units, whole communities. Uh, that, is, that is a thing in our world. People live in incredibly complex relational worlds. And, uh, and I know that when I go to do a wedding or a funeral. Uh, and, and this is not in any sense a judgment or whatever. It's, it's a reality that you can be there and it's like you've got, you know, four sets of parents at the wedding. And uh, it, as a minister, it was tough enough for me to remember four names and try and remember with who fitted where. And, and all of a sudden you've got the two front rows and it's like, my goodness, this family's who fits with who? And I think sometimes kids think that too. They must be thinking, where do I fit? So this is an incredibly complex time of history that we live in for people. And uh, anxiety, fear, depression, disconnection, it's all epidemic in modern society. And, and, and so I want to look at some Jesus encounters today, uh, people getting set free, some of what, uh, a little bit of what Paul and a little bit of what the Apostle John say about dealing with spiritual matters. Cool? Uh, and then we'll see whether I survive till next week. Luke chapter 8. And this is a story of Jesus. It's a very powerful story. Uh, it's been called the Gadarene demoniac, a very heavily demon-possessed man that Jesus encounters. But this is the, the essence of the story. It says, When he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Now we know that where this story ended up, uh, Jesus cast these demons out into a mob of pigs, a really big mob of pigs that ran down and like drowned themselves. It's a pretty dramatic, pretty crazy story. But I, I don't actually want to look at that part of it. I just want to say this. This guy was incredibly messy. Uh, other passages talk about this man crying out and cutting himself, literally howling through the tombs at night. Talk about the haunted graveyard. This guy was the original. Yeah. And uh, this is the thing, I, I love it that Jesus is happy to step into the messiest of lives, no matter where your life is, no matter what, and, and, and you can take this either way, whether you think it's a real spiritual thing or whether it's just an emotional sort of, I wrestle with my demons, wrestling with a hidden addiction or wrestling with pain in the heart that you just can't seem to get released from, wrestling with difficult family circumstances where you think, my goodness, this just keeps going from bad to worse. I can't seem to pull it back in. Whatever the wrestle is, one thing I can tell you about Jesus and difficult situations, messy situations, even the demonic, he's not shy of it. He's happy to step right into it and he has answers for it. He has answers. This guy ends up clothed and in his right mind. He starts naked and literally mad. 
And he ends sane in his own, in his right mind, sitting clothed at the feet of Jesus. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. But I just want to draw that, that thought uh, from it. No matter where you're at, Jesus can meet you. The, the other key thing that I see in this, in the context of, of, of our, our theme this year, is that this man was separated from community. He was separated. It says he was out in the tombs. No one was game to go out there or go near him. He was completely isolated, disconnected from community, which is a place that I actually think, with the demons in the story, if you're going to talk about demons and the devil, his number one tactic for people is to isolate them from any form of healthy community or healthy support so that they go down the rabbit hole themselves and end up just reinfesting themselves with their own pain. And you can sort of see that in this man. So just a couple of quick thoughts from that scripture. I think the devil does it because he realises we're better together. Luke chapter 4 verse 33 to 36. Another interesting story with Jesus. You doing okay? I haven't seen anyone run out screaming yet and locking themselves in the toilet. So we're doing okay. Uh, now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. The scripture seems to be pretty clear about this. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. This was just like deliverance on the spot. Who's ever wanted that from some of your personal demons? Uh, Freedom, and here's the point of the story. Freedom from just a word with Jesus. That's what amazed them. That's what amazed them. That freedom came at a word. Here's another interesting thought. He was in a synagogue. He wasn't in the tombs, he was in church. He was in a place of worship, which leads to the question, can a Christian be demon-possessed? You know, so if you're a bit unsure of that person that you came in with today and sat, well, sat down next to you, you've been looking at them sideways in the world. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to go there. Well, actually, the answer is I'm not sure anyone can. The Greek word demon zomai, that is translated possessed in a lot of places in scripture, uh, it's probably better rendered oppressed or attacked. That's, that's literally the meaning, to be attacked, to be oppressed. And, and so if we talk about can people be attacked and oppressed spiritually like that, I'd say absolutely. And, uh, and, and possibly, you know, if you've been around a church, you know someone who is, even in church. They haven't found their freedom yet. Um, But often we only think of the big things. Again, the dramatic. We go back to the green slime and the 180 degree heads. Uh, But it's not that. Personally, the way I sort of tend to think about spiritual issues like that and what the devil wants to do, when I think about the overt issues of humanity, 
you know, the, the big overt sin. So uh, everything, lust, greed, violence. Uh, I think if you open your heart to that stuff and make that your lifestyle, to tell you the truth, I don't think the devil needs to attack you. I just think the devil looks at you and says, my work here is done. I'll move on to the next one. Uh, I just think that sometimes we are our own worst enemies and Jesus certainly seems to, to say that. His most, as a matter of fact, his most exhaustive teaching on the subject of demons seems to address this. And this is Jesus, the most exhausting te- exhaustive direct teaching that I can find about of Jesus giving is Luke chapter 11 when an unclean spirit goes out of a man he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none and he says I will return to my house from which I came and when he comes he finds it swept and put in order then he goes out takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first Uh, which seems to be Jesus saying, don't open the door (laughs) to things you've been delivered from. You know, or you'll have a real fight on your hand. And so often we we are tempted to do that. That is, you know, if you talk about the devil as a real entity, that's what he wants to do. If you've flown the coop, he's happy to open the door and welcome you back. And if you do that, you might get more than you bargained for and every one of us here at some point on some level have probably experienced just that but that and and another passage in mark where jesus talks about this kind of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting in other words man if you're going to tackle this issue it's going to take devotion and commitment and separation in prayer and and that's actually jesus direct teaching Isn't it amazing, one of the the greatest deliverer who could deliver people with the word never left behind a thesis on deliverance ministry for the church. I mean, what an oversight, Jesus. Some of you are looking at me really. I don't mean that. It's meant to be facetious. Uh, I would never poke fun at Jesus. I think it's totally intentional. Totally intentional. And yet, man, in the 80s, the Christian bookshops were full of books. I remember one that I was given. Pigs in the parlour. <laughs> oh my goodness. People didn't have a lot to do, but they had seen a movie that really inspired a lot of good Christian writing. Okay. So why did I go here? As I said, there is an epidemic of emotional, psychological issues, and I'm not saying they are all demonic things. Please don't pick that up. But I'm not wanting to write it off either that the enemy of, of humanity's soul, of people individually and collectively, doesn't want to energise things to destroy lives. I mean, that is literally the meaning of his name. He is the destroyer. And so, uh, I don't want to write it off. These conditions for people are often devastating and sometimes they are spiritual. We do things. Or things are done to us that open our inner person up. The only way I could describe it, it's like uh, uh, hitting yourself on the thumb with the hammer is an instantly painful experience. 
Um, and then it gets more painful as a big blood blister forms underneath your fingernail, if you've been lucky enough to get yourself right. Um, and then if, if that's not even addressed well, that your nail cracks and if you're not careful, you get infection in there. And all of a sudden, that one smack with the hammer that just gave a bit of a jolt of pain in an instant, you know, six weeks later can be a really serious thing. And I think in the same way, sometimes we hit ourselves on the hammer in a mental, emotional or spiritual way or someone else takes a hammer to us and breaks the skin and infection can literally get in where what might have just been a certain level of issue over a little bit of time, all of a sudden it's a much deeper, much harder to cure, if I could put it that way, Issue. It's not something that just, um, uh, you know, putting it behind you and saying, I'm forgetting about that, will actually fix. Here's what Paul says, just, just a couple of things Paul says, and I, I guess it's in this realm. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, don't give place to the devil. Uh, another version says, don't give him a foothold. Don't give a foothold. Don't let your skin get broken in the game. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God, effective to pull down strongholds. And he's talking about battling in a spiritual realm, but it's in the realm of the mind. It's not the devil flying around the community. It's actually what's going on between our ears is Paul's clearest teaching on spiritual warfare. Okay? And, and then if we look at some of our... Uh, actually, I won't go there just yet. Um, don't, basically, here's the thought with those two scriptures. Don't let a foothold go to a stronghold. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't let something that's happened to you or something that you've done, don't let it entrench itself, embitter itself, so that it goes from just a little foothold to being actually a stronghold that dominates your thinking and dominates, begins to control the way that you relate to people or the way that you refuse to relate to people. It begins to dominate and control the words that are coming out of your mouth instead of a faith confession. It becomes a fear confession. I mean, I could just, you know, I could give quite a few things that happens when you let a foothold become a stronghold in your life. And I guess this is the frustration sometimes of better together, is that there's many things that hold people out of community. And out of great relationships that could bring healing. Pride, arrogance, jealousy, failure, guilt. I mean, they're all some things, but some things seem to have a deeper root that stop us actually connecting in a way that is meaningful and powerful and can bring healing to our own lives. And, uh, and you know, we'd be familiar with them and we've all either experienced them or we know you know, we know situations in our lives. Fear is one thing, from just irrational phobias right through to fearing a repeat of some past disaster, which seems quite rational. From the irrational to the rational. Uh, betrayal. Someone who's been betrayed and their inability to trust. And, and, and you could say, well, that's sort of, that's a pretty natural thing, but but hang on a sec, have you ever seen that happen where even when people are around them that didn't betray them, that do love them, that do want to be in their world, that do want to help them, but they can't even trust them? 
and they're driven out of relationship that God has for them that would bring healing and bring life because of those inner things. Bitterness, unforgiveness, refusing to let go of judgment. And, and we have all got to struggle through some things. Life keeps happening and you've got to keep your heart fresh and clean. But when it gets to a point where you can't release, can't forgive, that is a stronghold that is beginning to dominate your heart and your thinking. Abuse. You know, abuse is one of those terrible things and, and our society is well versed in it now. But it's one of those terrible things that for some reason the bona fide victim of abuse, I use that word carefully, I use it in its correct thought, a, a genuine victim who has been abused, someone has done something, said something, whatever, that should never be done. It's a crazy thing. Why did they feel the shame? They're the innocent one. And how does the innocent one get left with the shame? But that happens again and again and again. And when I see stuff like that, when I see a beautiful young girl unable to accept the fact that she's beautiful, so she cuts herself, then I think there's something deeper going on sometimes that we can't ignore. And and I could give example after example of, man, that is just, there's something deeper. That is not just a a social issue. That is a deep-seated spiritual issue somewhere. And, And that person needs to hear a word from Jesus that sets them free. Rejection, that syndrome, poor self-esteem, poor self-worth. Someone who's, as I said, actually beautiful, actually talented, but no amount of affirmation can reverse the feelings of self-loathing. I think, wow, there's something going on. You know, that's where I personally feel like the need to rebuke a demon. Not that someone is possessed, but that someone is being attacked by a spiritual force that wants to destroy their life. You guys doing okay? Trying to bring some balance here, that's all. And you know, today it would be so easy to open the altar and say, right, now I've talked about those issues and so we need to have a big prayer line um, and pray, which we do at every encounter night, by the way, so uh, always make your way there if you want hands laid on. That testimony sounded like, you know, it was a wonderful testimony to hear earlier, wasn't it? Someone receiving a level of healing, but... But there won't always be a service. There won't always be someone to pray for you. There won't always be a prayer line uh, for you to respond to. So I I would rather look at just a little bit more Bible teaching on this area. Can we do that? Let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say. Now, you've got to have an understanding. Um, Paul had significant experiences with the demonic. Uh, and he got in a lot of trouble for it. <laughs> um, he remember the slave girl following them around in the Book of Acts and and saying these the servants of the Most High God. Paul, it wearied him, grieved him that this girl was being used as a slave to be a, a clairvoyant of kinds. And so he rebukes the spirit. A spirit comes out of her. She's set free. And the people who are making money off her, which so often happens in this world, were really really upset that anyone would want to bring freedom to someone. They end up beaten up and in jail over that. And then, of course, Paul many times experienced, you know, demonically charged hatred 
and aggression, even from his own countrymen, wanting to kill him, wanting to be violent towards him, being violent towards him, you know, beating him up, you know, to, to the point of death, literally. Um, so Paul knew about this stuff, but the, here's the interesting thing. Paul knew about this stuff, he encountered it, he walked in power in the middle of it, and Paul doesn't give us a thesis on deliverance any more than Jesus does. But what he does do in almost every one of his epistles to the churches, he gives us a treatise on the church. Not a thesis, not an argument or a, or a carefully constructed argument for this is how you do it guys but it treats these in other words literally an exposition of what the church is that's Paul's response and again do you think Paul come on mate we need some we need to know some practicals about how do we chase chase demons and it's like Paul refuses to go there so I want to look at some of his teachings here's some of the stuff he says about spiritual uh, issues and the demonic realm uh, he tells us that humanity's, in Ephesians 6, humanity's true struggle, your real wrestle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against each other. And, and I wonder why he said that, because I think uh, people did need to lift their eyes and realise that just some of the issues of life, it's not actually that person, it's all the stuff that's attacking them, oppressing them and making them be the nasty person they are sometimes. So have a little bit of compassion for your fellow man who's uh, going through it. Don't judge him. And, uh, and Paul talks about in this whole passage, Ephesians 6, personal responsibility. You put on the helmet of salvation, protect your thoughts. You put on the breastplate of righteousness and work out what Jesus has done for you and stand in that. You gird your loins with truth and walk in integrity. You take up the shield of faith and quench all the fiery darts that the devil wants to shoot at you. You take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's all personal responsibility. And says, yes, you've got a spiritual enemy. So take care of yourself. Don't let your skin get broken. Don't pick up an infection. It's sort of what Paul is saying when I read it in the context of everything Jesus says. Uh, 1 Corinthians, he warns the church against mixing worship with pagan practices. In Colossians chapter 2 regarding Christ, he says that, that Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers. So his major thought there is that the battle is won. The battle is won. It would seem from, from reading that in Colossians that Paul is saying like, the only power the devil has over you is the power of a lie. That's how we know he lives in Hollywood. No, Paul didn't say that. I just said that. But the only power he has over you is actually the power of a lie. Getting you convinced that the word of God is not true concerning you is the greatest power maybe that he has over you. At no point does he give us a thesis. Instead, he points us at the church. He points us at the body of Christ. Here's some of the things he says. Ephesians 4, he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking in the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies 
according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The solution to stability and maturity is one another. He seems to be saying, better together. 2 Timothy 1.7, he says to Timothy, I love this because young Timothy, young pastor, and we're doing this in Digging Deeper, which has been fantastic so far, week one. Um, but he's saying this to a young pastor who has been challenged because of his youth and he's got all these spiritual giant, giants muscling up on him and they were the ones in the church. And Paul says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, Timothy. Now, honestly, when you read, if you understand the background of those books, Timothy had every reason to be fearful in a corner, shaking for his future. And Paul's like, oh, come on, Timothy. That's not what God's got for you. You need to believe in what Jesus says about you, mate. He's given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Embrace that. Don't embrace the fear. Don't embrace the brokenness that you see around you. He stepped into a broken church and had to bring order. And here's the apostle telling him how to do spiritual warfare. The apostle John, 1 John 4, 4, has got a very similar thought. You're of God, little children, and overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And what Paul was, what John was actually addressing was this thing called antichrists, which people really freak out about and again has spawned some terrific movies. Antichrist, anti-Christ, anti-Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one or Jesus the anointing. Anti-anointing. That's all Paul's, uh, John's talking about. He's just saying anything that's contrary to what the Spirit of God wants to do, you can overcome it. Because greater is he. So you think about those painful situations in your life. You think about those barbs that were designed to destroy you. And if you identify them as contrary to the purpose of God for your life, then John would say, come on, greater. He who's living in you is greater than what you face, what's sent to destroy you. The, the, literally, the anointing from the pit of hell will not stand against who now lives in you because you are found in, you are complete in him. And if you can stand in that victory and believe the word, then at a word you can be set free. Of course, we've got Jesus's word. It's ultimately at Jesus' word that people were set free. When people believed the word over what else, all the turmoil else that was going on, they were set free. So here's just a few questions we finish with this morning. Things to think about. And, you know, this might not be you, but in our society, if this isn't you, this is someone you know. And the fact is, you're part of their answer. And in the church, we are all part of each other's answer yeah, to bring healing. 
That's why we're better together. So here's some thoughts. Do I have irrational fears that need to be surrendered to the truth of God's word? What you fear about yourself, what you, how you fear people think about you, for example. For example, well, I don't know whether people accept me. I don't know whether people reject you. The scripture says you are accepted in the beloved. Can you receive that word over your fears and let Jesus set you free? Just, just simple things. So ask yourselves the question, do, do I have irrational fears that need to be surrendered? Am I connected to others in such a way that I can receive affirmation and healing if needed? Again, you know, community's a big thing and I look at that Gadarene demoniac and he's alone in the tombs and I am convinced that's exactly where the devil loves to get people living. Alone with surrounded by death in their own mind and takes them down that rabbit hole am I in a place can you say I'm in a place in community Uh, I know people and people know me enough to bring healing to my life to bring a word of affirmation to stand with me in prayer so that I don't do this alone am I connected to others in such a way that I can contribute to their freedom and healing because you can't just go, well, no, no, it's okay. I'm good. Just go to church, drop something in the bucket, do the thing, go back into my life. It's like, no, 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 hang on a sec. Are you connected in a way God could use you? Because you are part of their answer. That's the body of Christ. Uh, another quick thought. Am I determined personally to believe Jesus' word over my fears over my temptations over my desires over the opinions of others over my own poor image of myself am I prepared determined personally to believe Jesus above all of that and and I believe that might not be the completion of healing but it is one big step water. When we identify things that live in our heart, live in our emotions, live in our inner world, that just shouldn't be there. That are, that are contrary to what Jesus says about you because it's really easy to believe a lie on the inside. It's like I can understand why that person would be accepted. I can understand why people like that person. I can under- but I can never see that of myself. Well, unfortunately, friend, God sees it of you. You can't hide behind that. God sees it of you. And I'm urging you, accept what he says above the clamour of the outside, above your past experience, above your upbringing, above the schoolyard bully, above the workplace pressure, above every other thing, above a family that gets more complicated as life goes by. Believing what Jesus says above you, about you, above all of those other voices in our head uh, and I want to pray for us today and we just want to close in prayer and um, and I just but, but first I just want to say I love the fact that Jesus always brings freedom he doesn't come to tie us up he doesn't come to complicate it a good teacher simplifies things and Jesus has come to simplify give us clear paths for our feet to love us and affirm us 
Jesus always comes to set people free. That's his whole agenda, is just setting people free. So would you stand with me today, if you wouldn't mind? Can we all just stand in this place and in God's presence? And, um, and I'd like to pray for you. We also have our prayer team here today. And if you just feel there's anything else you want prayer for, you know, something that you want to go deeper with here, or maybe you've just come with a healing need or something, we've got people that will anoint you with oil and pray for you after the service. But I just want to pray for you right right now. Father, I thank you in your presence today. I pray that your word has brought light. Psalm 119 says the entrance of your word brings light. And I pray that you would fulfill your word. You will have fulfilled your word in a wonderful way for so many people in this place today. Stripping away old fears, maybe even old ways of thinking or even old ways of viewing the issues we've discussed stripping it back to simplicity, stripping it back to freedom in Christ. Uh, And I pray that we could embrace that, that hearts all over this, this auditorium could embrace the freedom that Jesus offers. He offers a word for your situation, friend. He offers a word. He wants to set you free. He loves you. You are accepted in the beloved. You are forgiven. You are made complete in him. That's what being born again is all about. It's about a brand new start to life and freedom from the past. And I pray, Father, that we as your people today could embrace that with all of our hearts, no matter what the difficulties, no matter how many times we've climbed the mountain and slid back again. I pray, Father, that we could embrace the truth of your word over the echoes of our own mind in Jesus' name. Just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you know, I said Jesus comes to bring freedom. You might be here and maybe you've never opened your heart to Jesus. And all I can say, friend, is that Jesus wants to bring freedom to your life. Maybe some of the things that I've said have resonated in some way with you. Uh, and if they have, you have an opportunity right now just to reach out to Jesus yourself, for yourself. Uh, many people in this place know what it is to find freedom in Jesus Christ. You can experience that too today. And I'm going to encourage you to take a simple step of faith. We're going to put a prayer up on the screen. It's a a simple prayer that expresses faith in Jesus. And uh, and if you've never done that but this morning, uh, or maybe you've done it in the past, but you know that you're not currently walking with Jesus, and you know maybe that there's some things that aren't free in your life, um, but you want the freedom that Jesus offers then I want to encourage you. Why don't you reach out to him? We're going to pray this prayer together. And just before we do, while every head's bowed, every eye's closed, if that's you, my friend, why don't you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Chris, that's me. I won't embarrass you. I won't embarrass you, but I think we need to take the step of faith. That's awesome. God bless you, mate. I see you up there. You can put your hand down again. Others in this place, you just know. That's, that's what I need to do. I need to embrace the freedom that Jesus offers me this morning just give it one more moment if that's you if that's you just take that little step of faith say God I want you to see me this morning I want you to hear my heart yeah, awesome mate that, that's awesome God bless you okay let's pray together right now dear Jesus I believe in you thank you for forgiving me come into my life and I'll follow you amen And following him brings freedom.
through all the contradictions, all the ups and downs of life, I tell you, God doesn't change. Jesus is always good. He always brings freedom to our hearts. Amen. God bless you.